Domini Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. Welcome once again to the Memento Traditionis podcast. This episode, we are continuing our reading from the Popes Against Modern Errors, which is a collection of writings of different popes. This week, we will be covering the encyclical Quanta Cura from Pope Pius IX, which was written in 1864. This is on the current errors of the day. And we will also be reading from the syllabus of errors, which goes along with this encyclical. So if you remember from the previous episode, Mirari Vos on liberalism, which Gregory XVI talks about the errors of the French Revolution, which has inspired all of Europe. We have a similar situation here for Pius IX. I believe uh, just four years before the writing of the Quanticota and Syllabus of Errors, the Papal States were conquered by revolutionary forces which were seeking to unite Italy under one government. And while I don't know too much about the history of Italy, in fact, I haven't really studied it much at all, but I have studied a certain amount of uh, the French Revolution and how that inspired Europe. So I believe that this was this uprising against the Papal States in this unification of Italy was influenced by the errors of the French Revolution and that is what Pope Pius IX is writing about here only a few years after this has happened. So with that, let's jump into Quanticura, which is on the current errors of Pius IX's day. This was written in December 8th, 1864. To our venerable brethren, all patriarchs, primates, archbishops, and bishops having favor and communion of the Holy See. Venerable brethren, health and apostolic benediction. With how great care and pastoral vigilance the Roman pontiffs, our predecessors, fulfilling the duty and office committed to them by the Lord Christ himself in the person of the most blessed Peter, Prince of the Apostles, of feeding the lambs and the sheep, have never ceased sedulously to nourish the Lord's whole flock with words of faith and with salutary doctrine, and to guard it from poisoned pastures, is thoroughly known to all and especially to you, venerable brethren. And truly, the same our predecessors, asserters of justice, being especially anxious for the salvation of souls, had nothing ever more at heart than by their most wise letters and constitutions to unveil and condemn all those heresies and errors which, being adverse to our divine faith, to the doctrine of the Catholic Church, to purity of morals, and to the eternal salvation of men, have frequently excited violent tempests and have miserably afflicted both church and state, for which cause the same our predecessors have, with apostolic fortitude, constantly resisted the nefarious enterprises of wicked men, who, like raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own confusion and promising liberty, whereas they are the slaves of corruption." have striven by their deceptive opinions and most pernicious writings to raise the foundations of the Catholic religion and of civil society, 
to remove from among men all virtue and justice, to deprave persons and especially inexperienced youth, to lead it into the snares of error, and at length to tear it from the bosom of the Catholic Church. But now, as is well known to you, venerable brethren, already scarcely had we been elevated to the chair of Peter by the hidden counsel of divine providence, certainly by no merit of our own, when seeing with the greatest grief our, of our soul a truly awful storm excited by so many evil opinions, and seeing also the most grievous calamities never sufficiently to be deplored, which overspread the Christian people from so many errors, according to the duty of our apostolic ministry, and following the illustrious example of our predecessors, we raise our voice and in many published encyclical letters and elocutions, deliver in consistory and in and other apostolic letters, we condemn the chief errors of this most unhappy age, and we excite your admirable episcopal vigilance, and we again and again admonish and exhorted all sons of the Catholic Church to us most dear, that they should altogether abhor and flee from the contagion of so desire a pestilence. And especially in our first encyclical letter written to you on November 9th, 1846, and in two elocutions delivered by us in consistory, the one on December 9th, 1854, and the other on June 9th, 1862, we condemned the monstrous portions of opinion which prevail especially in this age, bringing with them the greatest loss of souls and detriment of civil society itself, which are grievously opposed also not only to the Catholic Church in her salutary doctrine and venerable rights, but also to the eternal natural law engraven by God in all men's hearts and to right reason, and from which all other errors have their origin. But although we have not omitted often to prescribe and reprobate the chief errors of this kind, yet the cause of the Catholic Church and the salvation of souls entrusted to us by God and the welfare of human society itself altogether demand that we stir up your pastoral solicitude to exterminate other evil opinions which spring forth from the said errors as from a fountain, which false and perverse opinions are on that ground the more to be detested because they chiefly tend to this, that the salutary influence be impeded and even removed, which the Catholic Church, according to the institution and command of her divine author, should freely exercise even to the end of the world, not only over private individuals, but over nations, peoples, and their sovereign princes, and tend also to take away that mutual fellowship and concord of councils between church and state, which has ever proved itself propitious and salutary, both for religious and civil interests. Here he's referencing Marari Vos in the footnotes. For you well know, our venerable brethren, that at this time men are found not a few who apply to civil society the impious and absurd principle of naturalism, as they call it, dare to teach that, quote, the best constitution of public society and also civil progress altogether require that human society be conducted and governed without regard being had to religion any more than if it did not exist, or at last without any distinction being made between the true religion and false ones, end quote. And against the doctrine of Scripture, of the Church, and of the Holy Fathers, they do not hesitate to assert that, quote, that is the best condition of civil society in which no duty is recognized as attached to civil power of restraining by enacted penalties offenders against the Catholic religion, except so far as public peace may require, end quote. From which totally false 
idea of social government they do not fear to foster that erroneous opinion most fatal in its effects on the Catholic Church and the salvation of souls called by our predecessor Gregory XVI an insanity. Viz. that liberty of conscience and worship is each man's personal right, which ought to be legally proclaimed and asserted in every rightly constituted society, and that a right resides in the citizens to an absolute liberty, which should be restrained by no authority, whether ecclesiastical or civil, whereby they may be able openly and publicly to manifest and declare any of their ideas whatever, either by word of mouth, by the press, or in any other way. But while they rashly affirm this, they do not think and consider that they are preaching liberty of perdition, and that if human arguments are always allowed free roam for discussion, there will never be wanting men who will dare to resist truth and to trust in the flowing speech of human wisdom, whereas we know from the very teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ how carefully Christian faith and wisdom should avoid this most injurious babbling. This last quote here is from Pope St. Leo the Great, who lived in the 5th century. And since where religion has been removed from civil society and the doctrine and authority of divine revelation repudiated, the genuine notion itself of justice and human right is darkened and lost, and the place of true justice and legitimate right is supplied by material force. Thence it appears why it is that some are utterly neglecting and disregarding the surest principles of sound reason dare to proclaim that, quote, the people's will manifested by what is called public opinion or in some other way constitutes a supreme law free from all divine and human control, and that in the political order accomplished facts from the very circumstance that they are accomplished have the force of right, end quote. But who does not see and clearly perceive that human society, when set loose from the bonds of religion and true justice, can have in truth no other end than the purpose of obtaining and amassing wealth, and that society under such circumstances follows no other law in its actions except the unchastened desire of ministering to its own pleasures and interests? For this reason, men of the kind pursue with bitter hatred the religious orders Although these have de deserved extremely well of Christendom, civilization, and literature, and cry out that the same have no legitimate reason for being permitted to exist. And thus these evil men applaud the calumnies of heretics. For as Pius VI, our predecessor, taught most wisely, quote, the abolition of regulars is injurious to the state in which the evangelical councils are openly professed. It is injurious to a method of life praised in the church as agreeable to apostolic doctrine. It is injurious to the illustrious founders themselves who we venerate on our altars who did not establish these societies but by God's inspiration, end quote. And these wretches also impiously declare what, that permission should be refused to citizens and to the church, quote, whereby they may openly give alms for the sake of Christian charity, end quote and that the law should be abrogated, quote, whereby on certain fixed days several works are prohibited because of God's worship, end quote, and on the most deceptive pretext that the said permission and law are opposed to the principles of the best public economy. Moreover, not content with removing religion from public society, they wish to banish it also from private families. For teaching and professing the most fatal errors of communism and socialism, they assert that, quote, 
domestic society, or the family derives the whole principle of his existence from the civil law alone, and consequently that on civil law alone depends all rights of parents over their children, and especially that of providing for education, end quote. By which impious opinions and machinations these most deceitful men chiefly aim at this result, viz. that the salutary teaching and influence of the Catholic Church may be entirely banished from the instruction and education of youth, and that the tender and flexible minds of young men may be infected and depraved by every most pernicious error and vice. For all who have endeavored to throw into confusion things both sacred and secular, and to subvert the right order of society, and to abolish all rights human and divine, have always, as we have above hinted, devoted all their nefarious schemes, devices, and efforts to deceiving and depraving incautious youth, and have placed all their hope in its corruption. For which reason they never cease by every wicked method to assail the clergy, both secular and regular, from whom, as the surest monuments of history conspicuously attest, so many great advantages have abundantly flowed to Christianity, civilization, and literature, and to proclaim that, quote, the clergy as being hostile to the true and beneficial advance of science and civilization should be removed from the whole charge and duty of instructing and educating youth, end quote. Others, meanwhile, reviving the wicked and so often condemned inventions of innovators, dare with signal impudence to subject to the will of, civil, of the civil authority the supreme authority of the church and of this apostolic see given to her by Christ himself, and to deny all those rights of the same church and see which concern matters of the external order. For they are not ashamed of affirming that, quote, the church's laws do not bind in conscience unless when they are promulgated by the civil power that acts and decrees of the Roman pontiffs referring to religion in the church need the civil power sanction and approbation, or at least its consent, that the apostolic constitutions whereby secret societies are condemned, whether an oath of secrecy be or be not required in such societies, and whereby their frequenters and favorers are smitten with anathema, have no force in those regions of the world wherein associations of the kind are tolerated by the civil government. That the excommunication pronounced by the Council of Trent and by Roman pontiffs against those who assail and usurp the church's rights and possessions rests on a confusion between the spiritual and temporal orders and is directed to the pursuit of a purely secular good. That the church can decree nothing which binds the conscience of the faithful in regard to their use of temporal things. That the church has no right of restraining by temporal punishments those who violate her laws. That it is conformable to the principles of sacred theology and public law to assert and claim for the civil government a right of property in those goods which are possessed by the church, by the religious orders, and by other pious establishments, end quote. Nor do they blush openly and publicly to profess the maxim and principle of heretics from which arise so many perverse opinions and errors. For they repeat that the, quote, ecclesiastical power is not by divine right distinct from and independent of the civil power, and that such distinction and independence cannot be preserved without the civil power's essential rights being assailed and usurped by the church, end quote. Nor can we pass over in silence the audacity of those who, not enduring sound doctrine, contend that, quote, without sin and without any sacrifice of the Catholic profession, assent and obedience may be refused to those judgments and decrees of the apostolic see 
whose object is declared to concern the church's general good and her rights and discipline, so only it does not touch the dogmata of faith and morals, end quote. But no one can be found not clearly and distinctly to see and understand how grievously this is opposed to the Catholic dogma of the full power given from God by Christ our Lord himself to the Roman pontiff of feeding, ruling, and guiding the universal church. Amid, therefore, such great perversity of depraved opinions, we, while remembering our apostolic office, and very greatly solicitous for our most holy religion, for sound doctrine, and the salvation of souls which is entrusted to us by God, and solicitous also for the welfare of human society itself, have thought it right again to raise up our apostolic voice. Therefore, by our apostolic authority, we reprobate, proscribe, and condemn all the singular and evil opinions and doctrines severally mentioned in this letter, and will and condemn that they be thoroughly held by all children of the Catholic Church as reprobated, prescribed, and condemned. And besides these things, you know very well, venerable brethren, that in these times the haters of truth and justice and most bitter enemies of our religion, deceiving the people and maliciously lying, disseminate sundry and other impious doctrines by means of pestilential books, pamphlets, and newspapers dispersed over the whole world. Nor are you ignorant also that in this our age some men are found who, moved and excited by the spirit of Satan, have reached to the degree of impiety as not to shrink from denying our ruler and Lord Jesus Christ and from impugning his divinity with wicked pertinacity. Here, however, we cannot but extol you, venerable brethren, with great and deserved praise for not having failed to raise with all zeal your episcopal voice against impiety so great. Therefore, in this our letter we again most lovingly address you, who having been called unto a part of our solicitude, are to us among our grievous distresses the greatest solace, joy, and consolation, because of the admirable religion and piety wherein you excel, and because of that marvelous love, fidelity, and dutifulness whereby bound as you are to us and to this apostolic see and most harmonious affection, you strive strenuously and sedulously to fulfill your most weighty episcopal ministry. For from your signal pastoral zeal, we expect that, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and strengthened by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will, with redoubled care each day, more anxiously provide that the faithful entrusted to your charge, quote, abstain from noxious verbiage, which Jesus Christ does not cultivate because it is not his Father's plantation, end quote. And there's a footnote here attributing this to St. Ignatius. Never cease also to inculcate on the said faithful that all true felicity flows abundantly upon man from our august religion and its doctrine and practice, and that happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Teach that, quote, kingdoms rest on the foundation of the Catholic faith, end quote. Here he is referencing St. Celestine, Epistle 22. Into that, quote, nothing is so deadly, so hastening to a fall, so exposed to all danger, as that which exists, if believing this alone to be sufficient for us, that we receive free will at our birth, we seek nothing further from the Lord. That is, if forgetting our Creator we abjure His power, that we may display our freedom. St. Innocent, 
Epistle 29. And again, do not fail to teach that, quote, the royal power was not given only for the governance of the world, but most of all for the protection of the church, end quote. St. Leo, Epistle 156. And that there is nothing which can be of greater advantage and glory to princes and kings than if, as another most wise and courageous predecessor of ours, St. Felix instructed the Emperor Zeno, they, quote, permit the Catholic Church to practice her laws and allow no one to oppose her liberty, for it is certain that this mode of conduct is beneficial to their interests, viz. that where there is question concerning the causes of God, they study according to his appointment to subject the royal will to Christ's priests, not to raise it above theirs, end quote. But if always, venerable brethren, now most of all amid such great calamities both of the church and of civil society, amid so great a conspiracy against Catholic interests in this apostolic see, and so great a mass of errors, it is altogether necessary to approach with confidence the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace in timely aid. Wherefore we have thought it well to excite the piety of all the faithful, in order that together with us and you, they may unceasingly pray and beseech the most merciful Father of light and pity with most fervent and humble prayers, and in the fullness of faith flee always to our Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed us to God in his blood, and earnestly and constantly supplicate his most sweet heart, the victim of most burning love towards us, that he would draw all things to himself by the bonds of his love, and that all men, inflamed by his most holy love, may walk worthily according to his heart, pleasing God in all things, bearing fruit in every good work. But since without doubt men's prayers are more pleasing to God if they reach him from minds free from all stain, therefore we have determined to open to Christ's faithful with apostolic liberality the church's heavenly treasures committed to our charge in order that the said faithful being more earnestly enkindled to true piety and cleansed through the sacrament of penance from the defilements of their sins, may with greater confidence pour forth their prayers to God and obtain his mercy and grace. By these letters, therefore, in virtue of our apostolic authority, we concede to all, in singular, the faithful of the Catholic world, a plenary indulgence in the form of jubilee during the space of one month only for the whole coming year, 1865, and not beyond, to be fixed by you, venerable brethren, and other legitimate ordinaries of places, in the very same manner and form in which we granted it at the beginning of our supreme pontificate by our apostolic letter in the form of a brief dated November 20th, 1846, and addressed to all your Episcopal order, beginning Arcano Divine Providentiae Concilio, and with all the same faculties which were given by us in those letters. We will, however, that all things be observed which were prescribed in the aforesaid letters, and those things being accepted, which we there so declared. And we grant this, notwithstanding anything whatever to the contrary, even things which are worthy of individual mention and derogation. In order, however, that all doubt and difficulty be removed, we have commanded a copy of said letters be sent to you. Let us implore, venerable brethren, God's mercy from our innermost heart and with our whole mind, because he has himself added, I will not remove my mercy from them. Let us ask, and we shall receive. And if there be delay and slowness in our receiving because we have gravely offended, let us knock, because to him that knocketh it shall be opened, 
if only the door be knocked by our prayers, groans, and tears, in which we must persist and persevere. And if the prayer be unanimous, let each man pray to God, not for himself alone, but for all his brethren, as the Lord hath taught us to pray. But in order that God may the more readily assent to the prayers and desires of ourselves, of you, and of all the faithful, let us with all confidence employ as our advocate with him the Immaculate and Most Holy Virgin Mary, Mother of God, who has slain all heresies throughout the world, and who, the most loving mother of us all, is all sweet and full of mercy, shows herself to all as easily entreated, shows herself to all as most merciful, pities the necessities of all with the most large affection. In standing as a queen at the right hand of her only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in gilded clothing, surrounded with variety, can obtain from him whatever she will. Let us also seek the suffrages of the most blessed Peter, Prince of the Apostles, and of Paul, his fellow apostle, and of all the saints in heaven, who, having now become God's friends, have arrived at their heavenly kingdom, and being crowned, bearing their palms, and being secure of their own immortality, are anxious for our salvation. Lastly, imploring from our great heart for you, from God, the abundance of all heavenly gifts, we most lovingly impart the apostolic benediction from our innermost heart, in pledge of our signal love towards you, towards yourselves, venerable brethren, and to all the clerics and lay faithful committed to your care. Given at Rome, from St. Peter's, the 8th day of December in the year 1864, the 10th from the dogmatic definition of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, in the 19th year of our pontificate, Pius IX, Pope. That marks the end of Quanta Cura. And now we will read from the Syllabus Erorum, which includes 80 condemned propositions. This was promulgated along with Quanta Cura. Everything listed in this syllabus of errors is condemned by Pope Pius IX. Something that might be interesting for you listeners to do, and something that I will keep in mind as I'm reading this, is that this list of 80 condemned propositions includes many things that uh, people in America today believe are true. And I'm sure there's some things that you who are listening may believe this is true or may have believed that it is true. And but I don't know, perhaps there's some things that I might believe are true. And I think all of us need to consider these things, these errors that he is going to go over, Pope Pius IX, and consider why do we believe this, um, and also consider that it is an error that has been condemned by the church. So with that, perhaps keep a mental list of how many things that are listed here that are condemned as errors that you actually believe or have believed in the past, and many of our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, you know, conservative Catholics among them. I'm sure many conservative Catholics believe some of these things are true. Certainly many liberals do. Um, but uh, I, th I think this is, this is a huge uh, document that we need to pay close attention to. And with that, we will read the Syllabus Errorum, the Syllabus of Errors, issued by Pope Pius IX, December 8th, 1864.
syllabus of principal errors of our time, which are censured in the consistorial elocutions, encyclical, and other apostolic letters of our Most Holy Lord, Pope Pius IX. One last note before I begin reading these errors here. I am, it is not included, but uh, it is recognized that every single one of these is an error, so I will begin reading each of these with the statement, it is false to hold that, and then read the error. And also note, at the end of each error, there is a, there is a uh, citation of when this error is condemned, which document it is from, and what date, by uh, Pope Pius IX. It is false to hold that there exists no supreme, all-wise, all-provident divine being distinct from the universe, and God is identical with the nature of things and is therefore subject to changes. In effect, God is produced in man and in the world, and all things are God and have the very substance of God, and God is one and the same thing with the world, and therefore spirit with matter, necessity with liberty, good with evil, justice with injustice. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 8, 1862. It is false to hold that all action of God upon man in the world is to be denied. The same elocution. It is false to hold that human reason without ever any reference whatsoever to God is the sole arbiter of truth and falsehood and of good and evil. It is a law to itself and suffices by its natural force to secure the welfare of men and of nations. The same elocution. Number four. It is false to hold that all truths of religion proceed from the innate strength of human reason. Hence reason is the ultimate standard by which man can and ought to arrive at the knowledge of all truths of every kind. The same elocution and encyclical qui plurubis, November 9th. 1846. Number five, it is false to hold that divine revelation is imperfect and therefore subject to a continual and indefinite progress corresponding with the advancement of human reason. The same elocution. Number six, it is false to hold that the faith of Christ is in opposition to human reason and divine revelation. Not only is it not useful, but is even hurtful to the perfection of man. The same elocution. It is false to hold the prophecies and miracles set forth and recorded in the sacred scriptures are the fiction of poets and the mysteries of the Christian faith, the result of philosophical investigations. In the books of the Old and the New Testament, there are contained mythical inventions, and Jesus Christ is himself a myth. Number eight. It is false to hold, as human reason is placed on a level with religion itself, so theological must be treated in the same manner as philosophical sciences. Elocution Singulari Quadam, December 9, 1854. It is false to hold, all the dogmas of the Christian religion are indiscriminately the object of natural science or philosophy, and human reason, enlightened solely in a historical way, is able by its own natural strength and principles to attain to the true science of even the most abstruse dogmas, provided only that such dogmas be proposed to reason itself as its object. Letters to the Archbishop of Munich, Gravissimas Inter, 
December 11, 1862, and Tuas Libenter, December 21, 1863. Number 10. It is false to hold, as the philosopher is one thing and philosophy another, so it is the right and duty of the philosopher to subject himself to the authority which he shall have proved to be true, but philosophy neither can nor ought to submit to any such authority. The same letters to Archbishop of Munich. Number 11. It is false to hold. The Church not only ought never to pass judgment on philosophy, but ought to tolerate the errors of philosophy, leaving it to correct itself. Tuas Libenter, December 21, 1863. Number 12. It is false to hold the decrees of the Apostolic See and of the Roman congregations impede the true progress of science. The same encyclical. Number 13. It is false to hold the method and principles by which the old scholastic doctors cultivated theology are no longer suitable to the demands of our times and to the progresses of the sciences. The same encyclical. It is false to hold. Philosophy is to be treated without taking any account of supernatural revelation. The same encyclical. Number 15. It is false to hold. Every man is free to embrace and profess that religion which, guided by the light of reason, he shall consider true. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9, 1862. Damnatio Mutuplices Inter, June 10, 1851. It is false to hold. Man may, in the observance of any religion whatever, find the way of eternal salvation and arrive at eternal salvation. Encyclical Qui Plurubis, November 9, 1846. It is false to hold. Good hope at least is to be entertained of the eternal salvation of all those who are not at all in the true Church of Christ. Encyclical Quanto Conficiamur, August 10, 1863. Number 18. It is false to hold Protestantism as nothing more than another form of the same true Christian religion, in which form it is given to please God equally as in the Catholic Church. Encyclical Noscitis et Nobisium. December 8th, 1849. Now we reach a section on socialism, communism, secret societies, biblical societies, clerical liberal societies. Pests of this kind are frequently reprobated in the severest terms in the encyclical Qui Pluribus, November 9th, 1846, Elocution Quibis Quantisque, April 20th, 1849, encyclical Noscitis et Noshib Nobishum, December 8th, 1849. Elocution Singulari Quadam, December 9th, 1854. Encyclical Quanto Conficiamur, August 10th, 1863. Number 19. It is false to hold the Church is not a true and perfect society entirely free, nor is she endowed with proper and perpetual rights of her own, conferred upon her by her divine founder but it appertains to the civil power to define what are the rights of the Church and the limits within which she may exercise those rights. Elocution Singulari Quadam, December 9th, 1854. It is number 20. It is false to hold the ecclesiastical power ought not to exercise its authority without the permission and assent of the civil government. Elocution Meminit Ususque 
September 30th, 1861. It is false to hold the Church has not the power of defining dogmatically that the religion of the Catholic Church is the only true religion. Demnatio multiplices inter June 10th, 1851. It is false to hold the obligation by which Catholic teachers and authors are strictly bound is confined to those things only which are proposed to universal belief as dogmas of faith by the infallible judgment of the Church. Letter to the Archbishop of Munich to us, the Benter, December 21st, 1863. Number 23. It is false to hold Roman pontiffs and ecumenical councils have wandered outside the limits of their powers, have usurped the powers of princes, and have even erred in defining matters of faith and morals. Damnatio multiplices inter June 10th, 1851. Number 24. It is false to hold the church has not the power of using force, nor has she any temporal power, direct or indirect. Apostolic letter ad apostoliciae. August 28, 1851. Number 25, it is false to hold, besides the power inherent in the episcopate, other temporal power has been attributed to it by the civil authority granted, either explicitly or tacitly, which on that account is revocable by the civil authority whenever it thinks fit. The same apostolic letter. Number 26, it is false to hold the church has no innate and legitimate right of acquiring and possessing property. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856. Encyclical Incredibili, September 7, 1863. Number 27. It is false to hold the sacred ministers of the Church and the Roman Pontiff are to be absolutely excluded from every charge and dominion over temporal affairs. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9, 1862. Number 28. It is false to hold. It is not lawful for bishops to publish even letters apostolic without the permission of the government. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856. Number 29. It is false to hold. Favors granted by the Roman pontiff ought to be considered null unless they have been sought for through the civil government. The same elocution. Number 30. It is false to hold the immunity of the church and of ecclesiastical persons derived its origin from civil law. Damnatio multiplices inter, June 10, 1851. Number 31. It is false to hold the ecclesiastical forum or tribunal for temporal causes, whether civil or criminal, of clerics ought to by all means be abolished, even without consulting and against the protest of the Holy See. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856, and Elocution Echerbissimum, September 27, 1852. Number 32. It is false to hold the personal immunity by which clerics are exonerated from military conscription and service, and the army may be abolished without violation either of natural right or equity. Its abolition is called for by civil progress, especially in a society framed on the model of a liberal government. Letter to the Bishop of Monreal, Singularis Nobisque, September 29, 1864. Number 33. It is false to hold. It does not appertain exclusively to the power of ecclesiastical jurisdiction by right, proper, and innate to, to direct the teaching of theological questions. Letter to the Archbishop of Munich, to us Libenter, December 21, 1863. Number 34. It is false to hold the teaching of those who compare the sub 
sovereign pontiff to a prince, free and acting in the universal church is a doctrine which prevailed in the Middle Ages. Apostolic letter, ad apostolice, October, August 22nd, 1851. Number 35. It is false to hold there is nothing to prevent the decree of a general council or the act of all peoples from transferring the supreme pontificate from the bishop and city of Rome to another bishop and another city. The same apostolic letter. Number 36. It is false to hold the definition of a national council does not admit of any subsequent discussion, and the civil authority can assume this principle as the basis of its acts. The same apostolic letter. Number 37. It is false to hold national churches withdrawn from the authority of the Roman pontiff and altogether separated can be established. Elocution multis gravit gravibusque, December 17, 1860. Number 38. It is false to hold the Roman pontiffs have, by their too arbitrary conduct, contributed to the division of the church into Eastern and Western. Apostolic letter ad apostolice, August. 22nd, 1851. Number 39. It is false to hold the state as being the origin and, all, and source of all rights is endowed with a certain right not circumscribed by any limits. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9th, 1862. Number 40. It is t false to hold the teaching of the Catholic Church is hostile to the well-being and interests of society. Encyclical Qui Plurubis, uh, November 9th, 1846. Elocution Quibus Quintisque, April 20th, 1849. Number 41. It is false to hold the civil government, even when in the hands of an infidel sovereign, has a right to an indirect negative power over religious affairs. It is therefore possesses not only the right called that of Exequantur, but also that of appeal called Appellatio ad Abuso. Stock letter ad Apolistice, August 22nd, 1851. Number 42. It is false to hold in the case of conflicting laws enacted by two powers, the civil law prevails. The same apostolic letter. Number 43. It is false to hold the secular power has authority to rescind, declare, and render null solemn conventions, commonly called concordats, entered into with the apostolic see regarding the use of rights appertaining to ecclesiastical immunity without the consent of the apostolic see, and even in spite of its protest. Elocution multis gravibusque, December 17, 1860. Elocution in consistorali. November 1st, 1850. Number 44. It is false to hold the civil authority may interfere in matters relating to religion, morality, and spiritual government. Hence it can pass judgment on the instructions issued for the guidance of consciences conformably with their mission by the pastors of the church. Further, it has the right to make enactments regarding the administration of divine sacraments and the dispositions necessary for receiving them. Elocutions in consistirali, November 1st, 1850, and Maxima Quidem, June 9th, 1862. Number 45. 
It is false to hold the entire government of public schools in which the youth of a Christian state is educated, except, to a certain extent, in the case of Episcopal seminaries, may and ought to appertain to the civil power and belong to it so far that no other authority whatsoever shall be recognized as having any right to interfere in the discipline of the schools, the arrangement of the studies, the conferring of degrees, and the choice or approval of the teachers. Elocutions quibus luctuosis simis, September 5th, 1851, and in consistuali, November 1st, 1850. Number 46. It is false to hold, moreover, even in ecclesiastical seminaries, the method of studies to be adopted is subject to the civil authority. Elocution nunquam forte, December 15, 1856. It is false to hold, the best theory of civil society requires the popular schools open to children of every class of the people, and generally all public institutes intended for instruction in letters and philosophical sciences and for carrying on the education of youth, should be freed from all ecclesiastical authority, control, and interference, and should be fully subjected to the civil and political power at the pleasure of the rulers, and according to the standard of the prevalent opinions of the age. Epistle to the Archbishop of Freiburg, cum non sine, July 14, 1864. It is false to hold. Catholics may approve of the system of educating youth unconnected with Catholic faith and the power of the Church, in which regards the knowledge of merely natural things and only, or at least primarily, the ends of earthly social life. The same epistle. It is false to hold the civil power may prevent the prelates of the church and the faithful from communicating freely and mutually with the Roman pontiff. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9, 1862. Number 50. It is false to hold lay authority possesses of itself the right of presenting bishops and may require of them to undertake the administration of the diocese before they receive canonical institution and the letters apostolic from the Holy See. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856. Number 51. It is false to hold, and further, the lay government has the right of disposing bishops from their pastoral functions and is not bound to obey the Roman pontiff in those things which relate to the institution of bishoprics and the appointment of bishops. Elocutions Acerbissimum, September 27, 1852. Damnatio multiplices inter, June 10, 1851. Number 52. It is false to hold that government can by its own right alter the age prescribed by the Church for the religious professions of women and men, it may require of all religious orders to admit no person to take solemn vows without its permission. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856. Number 53. It is false to hold the laws enacted for the protection of religious orders and regarding their rights and duties ought to be abolished. Nay, more civil government may lend its assistance to all those who desire to renounce the obligation which they have undertaken of a religious life and to break their vows. Government may also suppress the said religious orders and as likewise collegiate colleges and simple benefices, even those of a bowson, and subject their property and revenues to the administration and pleasure of the civil power. Elocutions Etrebissimum, September 27, 1852. Probe Meminaritis, January 22, 1855. Cum Sepe, January 
July 26, 1855. Number 54. It is false to hold kings and princes are not only exempt from the jurisdiction of the church, but are superior to the church in deciding questions of jurisdiction. Demnatio multiplices inter, June 10, 1851. Number 55. It is false to hold the church ought to be separated from the state and the state from the church. Elocution at your September 27, 1852. Number 56. It is false to hold moral laws do not stand in need of the divine sanction, and it is not at all necessary that human laws should be made conformable to the laws of nature and receive their power of binding from God. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9, 1862. Number 57. It is false to hold the science of philosophical things and morals, and also civil laws may and ought to keep aloof from divine and ecclesiastical authority. The same elocution. Number 59. It is false to hold no other forces are to be recognized except those which reside in matter, and all the rectitude and excellence of morality ought to be placed in the accumulation and increase of riches by every possible means, and the gratification of pleasure. The same elocution, as well as the encyclical Quanto Conficiamor, August 10, 1863. Number 59. It is false to hold right consists in the material fact. All human duties are an empty word, and all human facts have the right of force. Elocution Maxima Quidem, June 9, 1862. Number 60. It is false to hold. Authority is nothing else but numbers and the sum total of material forces. The same elocution. Number 61. It is false to hold the injustice of an act when successful inflicts no injury on the sanctity of right. Elocution. Yamdudum. Chernimus. March 18th, 1861. Number 62. It is false to hold the principle of non-intervention, as it is called, ought to be reclaimed and observed. Elocution novos et ante. September 28th, 1860. Number 63. It is false to hold it is lawful to refuse obedience to legitimate princes and even to rebel against them. Encyclical Qui Plurubis, November 9th, 1864, Elocution, Quibusque Vestrum, October 4th, 1847, Encyclical, Noshitis et Nobistium, December 8th, 1849, Apostolic Letter, Cum Catholica. Number 64, It is false to hold the violation of any solemn oath, as well as any wicked and flagitious action repugnant to the eternal law is not only not blamable but is altogether lawful and worthy of the highest praise when done through love of country elocution quibus quantisque april 20th 1849 number 65 it is false to hold the doctrine that christ has raised marriage to the dignity of a sacrament cannot be at all tolerated Epistolic Letter Ad Apostolicae, August 22nd, 1851. Number 66. 
It is false to hold the sacrament of marriage as only something accessory to the contract and separate from it, and the sacrament itself consists in the nuptial blessing alone. The same apostolic letter. Number 67. It is false to hold, by the law of nature, the marriage tie is not indissoluble, and in many cases divorce properly so called may be decreed by the civil authority. The same apostolic letter, as well as the allocution at Cherbissimum, September 27, 1852. Number 68. It is false to hold the church has not the power of establishing dearment impediments of marriage, but such a power belongs to the civil authority by which existing impediments are to be removed. Damnatio Multiplices Inter, June 10, 1851. Number 69. It is false to hold, in the Dark Ages, the Church began to establish dearment impediments, not by her own right, but by using a power borrowed from the state. Apostolic Letter Ad Apostolice, August 22, 1851. Number 70. It is false to hold, the canons of the Council of Trent, which anathematize those who dare to deny the Church the right of establishing dearment impediments, either are not dogmatic or must be understood as referring to such powered power. The same apostolic letter. Number 71. It is false to hold the form of solemnizing marriage prescribed by the Council of Trent under pain of nullity does not bind in cases where the civil law lays down another form and declares that when this new form is used, the marriage shall be valid. Number 72. It is false to hold Boniface VIII was the first who declared that the vow of chastity taken at ordination renders marriage void. The same apostolic letter. Number 73. It is false to hold in force of a merely civil contract there may exist between Christians a real marriage, and it is false to say either that the marriage contract between Christians is always a sacrament, or that there is no contract if the sacrament be excluded. The same apostolic letter, as well as letter to the king of Sardinia, September 9, 1852, Elocutions at September 27, 1852, and Multis Gravibusque, December 17, 1860. Number 74. It is false to hold matrimonial causes and espousals belong by their nature to civil tribunals. Encyclical Qui Plurubis, November 9, 1846, Damnatio Multiplices Inter, June 10, 1851, Apostolic Letter Ad Apostolice, August 22, 1851. Elocution Acerbissimum, September 27, 1852. Number 75. It is false to hold the children of the Christian and Catholic Church are divided amongst themselves about the compatibility of the temporal with the spiritual power. Apostolic Letter Ad Apostolice, August 22, 1851. Number 76. It is false to hold the abolition of the temporal power of which the apostolic see is possessed would contribute in the greatest degree to the liberty and prosperity of the Church. Elocutions Quibus Quantisque, April 20th, 1849. Si Semper Antea, May 20th, 1850. Number 77. It is false to hold in the present day it is no longer expedient that the Catholic religion should be held as the only religion of the state to the exclusion of all other forms of worship.
Elocution, Nemo Vestrum, July 26, 1855. Number 78. It is false to hold, hence it has been wisely decided by law in some Catholic countries that persons coming to reside therein shall enjoy the public exercise of their own peculiar worship. Elocution, Etcherbissimum, September 27, 1852. Number 79. Moreover, it is false to hold that it is false that the civil liberty of every form of worship and the full power given to all of overtly and publicly manifesting any opinions whatsoever and thoughts conduce more easily to corrupt the morals and minds of the people and to propagate the pest of indifferentism. Elocution Nunquam Forte, December 15, 1856. Number 80. It is false to hold the Roman pontiff can and ought to reconcile himself to and come to terms with progress, liberalism, and modern civilization. Elocution, Yom Dundum, Chernimus, March 18, 1861. So as I was reading these errors, these syllabus of errors that Pope Pius IX put out, I saw many errors that you might say Catholics hold today. And perhaps you might even argue that Vatican II has taught some of these things that Pope Pius IX has condemned here. And so the question is, is there a contradiction here? Can this be reconciled? Or if it can't, what is the answer to this? Uh, that's not something that I'm going to attempt to answer in this podcast, but that's just something to think about as well as uh, in light of the previous podcast that we went over about understanding the binding force of tradition, and so on and so forth. But let's also consider there are a number of points here about the education of children, about the separation of church and state, about free speech, about freedom of religion, things that Americans hold dear as you might say, dogmas of America, things that Pope Pius IX here has condemned as false opinions. And yet this is something that many Catholics today, especially American Catholics, believe is true. And yet Pope Pius IX, 150 years ago or more, was saying, these are errors. So what are we to make of this? Perhaps we will consider this in a future episode, but in the meantime, let us pray for the Church. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum laderus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Oh.